Cornucopia Radio presents Martians Never Die by Lucius Daniel building is of massive stone and completely circular. There's an inner room, a barren circle with unbroken walls, three feet in diameter and entirely open to the sky at the top. The only access to it from the ground level is a door of steel, four inches thick, with a series of small holes drilled through the top. The outer room is a narrow passageway which completely encircles the inner chamber. No windows, no furnishings. The wall broken only by another door which leads to the street. A fluorescent tube spreads its cold light into the narrow space between the two doors. And under it stand Hal Stern and Faye Curtis. She looks beautiful. He, chunky and affluent. And they are both very nervous. Frightened, Hal. No need to be. Uh, but uh, suppose Clyde comes back. He hasn't come back the last four years, and there's no reason to think he'll come back this time. I wouldn't have come over to this grim place if you hadn't. Don't, Hal. Well, why can't you forget about Clyde completely? You can't expect me to. Not until I feel absolutely certain he won't return. He said himself, if I don't get back from Mars by the second year, I'll probably never make it. Well, it's a little thing to ask, isn't it? Waiting 15 minutes once a year? It's a lot to ask, considering the way I feel about you. Let's have an end to this nonsense. Let's have him declared legally dead, and then... Wait. Who are you? I'm the news reporter, remember? You made a deal with my editor. Said I could come in here in case he came back. Well, you're a little early. Why? What time is he supposed to arrive? At 3.44 and 29 seconds, precisely. If he comes at all. How can you know the exact second? Because that's the time when the solar currents are the most favourable. Once a year? Yes. You're Mrs Curtis, aren't you? I am. Do you know the principle on which Dr Curtis got to Mars? I mean, it all sounds like fourth dimensional stuff to me. It's not fourth dimensional, and I'm afraid it's far too complicated to explain. Didn't you get a little sore? The Doctor taking off for another planet that way, leaving you behind by yourself. That's a rather impertinent question, isn't it? You're Mr Stern, aren't you? I am. And you helped Dr Curtis finance this Mars project? I have been his friend and financial advisor for many years, yes. Is that all? What do you mean by that? Sorry, skip that question. I just thought, where does that other door go? To the projection room. Could I take a look inside? No. A bullet train couldn't pull that door open. Well, how will the doc get out if he does come back? It opens by pneumatic pressure. 
the sphere will come into the projection chamber at tremendous speed. Air compression will open the door and act as a cushion for the sphere at the same time. I guess those little holes at the top of the door are part of the system, right? Yes. The air will come through those holes with a whistling sound. (laughs) Giving you a little warning, huh? That sounds very much like an insinuation that I was... Hal, please. Hey, what's that noise? Hal! It's the air pressure! He's back! Oh, brother, what a story! they stand, all three faces stamped with fascination as the heavy steel door is slowly forced open. The reporter is aglow with his good fortune at stumbling onto such an event. The lady contemplates a husband she never expected to see again. But Mr. Stern? Well, for reasons of his own making, he is not at all happy to see Dr. Curtis reappear today. Not at all. It can't make any difference. It mustn't. The steel door stands wide now. The rush of compressed air is receding, and the grey hull of the spear is sinking slowly into view. It comes to rest on the floor of the projection chamber, and a curved hatch swings outward directly behind the steel door. It's the moment when Dr. Curtis should appear. But there is no immediate sign of him. There is only a creature, slithering through the hatch. How? What is it? Move back, Faye. What if it should jump? It's a Martian. It must be a Martian. Unless it's Clyde, and something has happened to him. But what? It's not. I mean, there's Dr. Curtis behind the thing. Clyde? Clyde! Faye, look out for the thing! It's all right, Chateau. Look at that. It behaves just like a dog. Oh, where have you been, darling? Why have you stayed so long? Later, Faye. We'll talk about it later. Are you ill? No, but I must rest. Take me home. I must go home. How about a word for the press, Doctor? Can you tell me something about that thing you've brought with you? I'll have a good many words for the press soon. But, Doctor, not even a statement? (laughs) Don't worry. I'll see that you're given due credit for your patience. And what about me? Have you got a word for an old friend? Hello, Hal. It's good to see you again. Well, if you'll move that beast out of the way, I'd sure like to shake your hand. Shut up. 
He would never bother a friend of mine. But I must get home. Please, Faye, help me to the shuttle car. An animus has already formed between Stern and the beast known as Shuttowl. There's a strong leather odour as the creature brushes past Stern and galumps to the door. It's built in the manner of a frog, except it stands five feet high while squatting on its powerful haunches. The feet are different too, being studded with suction cups like those of an octopus. Mr Stern is filled with an instant loathing as he follows the grotesque form through the door. Imagine his state of mind as he finds himself sharing the rear seat of the shuttle car with it. Now then, Clyde, there's your old easy chair. I want you to sit down and be completely relaxed. I'm going to take care of you. Don't be too concerned, Faye. This strange feeling I have is quite normal, really. Nevertheless, I'm going to call Dr. Anderson. Here, let me open the top of your shirt. Thank you, darling. Has everything gone well for you? Well, you couldn't expect me to be terribly happy with you away so long. It was necessary, believe me. I'm sure it was. Would you like a brandy? No, thank you. Just rest. I'm going to fix something to eat. How about some hot broth? (laughs) Let's try it. Hal? Yes? Go in the kitchen and put on some water to heat, will you? I'm going to phone the doctor. Of course. And Hal? See if you can find a razor in that downstairs washroom. I'm sure he'll feel better with a clean shave. Mr. Stern is being made to feel like a houseboy, and he is not pleased. He would gladly find the razor and cut the throat of Dr. Curtis, except that he is fully aware of the consequences. He snatches a hasty glance at the thing. It is sitting close to the easy chair, alert to the discomfort of its master. Stern notes that its attention, at least, has ceased to focus on him, and he goes on into the kitchen where he can wonder quietly just what should be done. Faye follows him before his thoughts have a chance to take form. Here's the opportunity for a quiet word of reassurance, and he closes the door quietly behind her. Did you find the stock cubes, Hal? No, hang the stock cubes. Listen to me. We've got to find time for a little private discussion. About what? About us, of course. About what we have to do now that Clyde is back. What we have to do is take care of him. Now, where did I put those cubes? Have you forgotten everything that we'd planned? How can you even think like that, Hal? We talked about those plans when it looked as though Clyde would never come back. But he has come back, and he's sick, and he needs me. So do I. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. There's nothing I can do. Suppose I just tell him the way things have been between us. Hmm. I know, Clyde. He'd understand eventually. Well, well, he wouldn't understand the speculating I've done with his investments. What? And I did it for you. I I was trying to get back some of the money he wasted on that infernal machine. But I never asked you to. There was plenty left for everything I wanted. Nevertheless, 
it was done for you. And I'll make that perfectly clear. How much of Clyde's money have you lost? The amount doesn't matter. The point is that Clyde never approved of speculation, at your insistence. Look, I'm staying with Clyde and looking after him as long as he wants me to. You can handle this other situation according to your own standards. You bet I will. Meantime, you might try and cooperate until Dr. Anderson gets here and we find out how sick Clyde really is. You certainly can't be boorish enough to bother him in his present condition. The lady is leaving Mr. Stern flat. Although, one hardly feels sympathy for him. He's old enough to know that even Lloyds of London will not ensure the affections of a woman. But now he turns, quite naturally if you like, to thoughts of mayhem. If Clyde lacked the simple common courtesy to get lost in the void of space, then Mr. Stern would have to put him out of the way. This would have to be done soon, before Clyde gets around to revoking the power of attorney he had so thoughtfully delegated to his old friend. So, the decision is made, and immediately becomes irrevocable in Mr. Stern's mind. It is only a question of how. <laughs> only with a splendid sense of determination can a man will himself to such destruction. Mr. Stern sulks in the kitchen for a time. He is attracted back to the living room by a swelling clamour and finds himself facing the awesome consequence of fame and public attention. The press and the curious ones have beaten a path to the door of the man who not only got to Mars, but made it back alive. If Dr. Curtis's life should depend on rest and quiet, he will have little chance now. Hal, will you please take care of those people at the door? It's impossible to hear yourself think. Looks like there's a small army of reporters out there. What do you want me to do? At least make them stop that pounding on the door. Why must people be so inhuman? I'll, uh, I'll do what I can. It's me, remember, from the projection chamber? Is a doctor ready to give a statement now? Come on, don't tell me he's publicity shy. I'm afraid Dr. Curtis is sick and can't talk to anyone yet. What's he going to do? Keep his story a secret? He will make a statement as soon as he's able. He certainly won't talk to anyone until his physician has examined him. When will that be? Dr. Anderson has been called. That's all I know. He, he must have told you something about his trip. What about this Martian he's brought back with him? Look, I don't know any more than you do. So no pictures and no story until further notice. Look, I'm only trying to do my job. The people have a right to know. Okay. Lay off the door, but stick around. I'll try and get some information to you later. I think... There might be something wrong with Dr. Curtis's heart. Okay, but appreciate it. Will they go away? I don't think so. Clyde is the news. Then I'm going to call the police. The police won't drive away the press. Well, can't they stop that pounding on the door? Clyde is so weak he can hardly take this broth. Oh, one up in there, it's Dr. Anderson. Thank heaven. Let him in, Hal, quickly. It would help if you calmed your own nerves a little. Come, come, uh, let me in. Just making sure you're not a reporter, Doctor. Where's Clyde? Over here in his chair, Dr. Anderson. I'm afraid he'll have to be taken to a hospital. No, no hospital. And why not? This condition is only temporary. How do you know? Where the devil have you been, Clyde? And what have you done to yourself to get in this condition? And what's this 
Sing, get it out of my way. It's all right, Chateau. Dr. Anderson's a friend. Huh. It's well behaved, even if it does look a fright. Here now, let's listen to your ticker. I'm afraid that's a strain, Doctor. The difference in gravity between Mars and Earth, you know. Mm. And that awful crowd outside. They'll be coming through the cracks in the floor. You please be quiet. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong. The lad on ice told me exactly what to expect and what to do when I got home. Lad on ice? Never heard of them. Well, they're the intelligent race on Mars. Quite similar to men, but smaller. I thought this thing here was a Martian. No, Shatao and his breed are only bred as pets. These Ladenais, any doctors among them? Oh, they're incredibly advanced, in ways we never understand. They told me I'd feel this way, and that rest would be the only cure. So in that case, why aren't you in bed then? Rest, I said, not collapse. Matter of fact, I, I should try taking a little walking soon. Hmm. Well, things there's nothing too wrong with you. Look, I, I'll leave some pills, but try not to take more than one every hour. Call me if I'm wrong. I'll let you out, Doctor. So, are you staying here, Stern? Yes. And don't worry. I'll see that Clyde gets plenty of attention. Well, you better support him if he's planning on taking that stroll. Right now, that hard is working pretty damn hard. I'll walk him out in back and, and let him sit by the ravine. Things are progressing nicely for our Mr. Stern. Dr. Anderson has unknowingly provided the method for murder. Later, the police arrive and inform all that they are quarantined until health inspectors have examined Dr. Curtis. Thus, no interruptions. The crowds continue to mill about in the street, maintaining an air of confusion. There remains only shut out, and the creature must be disposed of before Stern can deal with its master. He concentrates on the problem and examines the monster carefully. How would it defend itself? It has no teeth, and therefore no bite. A creature of his size would hardly be equipped with a sting. Its haunches and arms look powerful, and the suction cups on its fingers would make a grip difficult to break. On the other hand, it must have a thin skull, adjusted to the slight atmospheric pressure of Mars. The beast returns his stare malevolently and inches closer to his master. It is somehow aware of Stern's intent. Curtis dozes in his chair, and Stern waits for him to awaken. Waits until after dark. Are you awake, Clyde? Uh, uh, yeah, yes, I think so. Where am I? Home. Curious. I feel as though I'd been in a trance. That's the way you looked. What time is it? Around eight. Oh, I must move about. The lad and I told me to move about, or I'd have trouble with my legs. I'll help you. If your beast will let me. Let him support me, Chateau. It certainly keeps a close watch on you. An amazing creature in many ways. There. I'll just lean on your shoulder. 
Did I hear Clyde? Are you sure it's all right to move around? It's necessary, my dear. Where are you going? Out to the garden. Is that all right? Mm, splendid. It's cool out there, and your old bench is still at the edge of the ravine. It'll be pleasant to sit there again and contemplate the stars. Are the stars out tonight? I think so. Go ahead then, darling. I'm just fixing something for Hal and me to eat. The stars are uncovered in a perfectly clear sky. Dr. Curtis moves slowly to his bench by the ravine and looks up as though in meditation. Mr. Stern continues to stand facing him, and the beast carefully takes up a position between its master and the yawning ravine falling abruptly away into the night. Shutow fixes an adoring gaze on Dr. Curtis and sits, motionless, even as Stern moves nervously about. Why did you stay away for so long? To learn as much as I could. Couldn't you have made other trips, taken other scientists along? Oh, I gave the lad and I a solemn promise never to return and to destroy my projection machine along with all the designs. Why? They're afraid of us. Of us? But we're civilised. <laughs> to them, we're in a stage of barbarity. They've observed us for centuries. They've watched us and they don't want to be like us. You say they've been watching us for centuries? Their civilization is advanced to at least a thousand years beyond our own. In their physical science, I was like an island native trying to understand quantum theory. Their social science is nearing perfection. It's beautiful. You mean they've come up with the perfect political system? No, not a political system, but relationships between people. The individual is paramount. The government exists only to perform services. There's no violence of any kind, and crime is unknown. But how can that be possible? Well, the psychopathic criminal is treated for his disease. There is no poverty to create crime bred in want. As for the power seekers, there is no power to seek, since the government does not govern and there's no money. Their needs are produced in abundance, and an individual merely presents a service card to take all he requires. <laughs> Nobody will believe that, Clyde. Well, it will be my mission to make them believe. You mean to say that nobody on Mars ever gets steamed up or, or, or lashes out? It might happen occasionally, but the one who is killed dies only in body. His mind and spirit will be transmigrated into the body of the attacker, and the criminal is transformed into his own victim. Now that you will never have people believing unless you're somehow able to, to show how it's done and give demonstrations. Unfortunately, I can't. The lad and I were free with their explanations, but they were far beyond my comprehension. Oh, don't ask me to talk any more, Hal. It's making me very tired. Oh, I'm sorry, Clyde. 
You go back into your trance and rest up. I'll just move around for a while and soak up the breeze. Dr. Curtis is slumping back in his seat, almost gratefully, and in another moment he is staring fixedly at the stars. Shut Owl is apparently filled with anxiety for his master and watches him even more intently. Mr. Stern is pleased to note that nothing he does seems to distract the beast. After walking about the terrace for a bit, he moves close to Shut Owl. The creature pays him no heed. Mr. Stern picks up a rock and tosses it into the ravine. The creature is unmoved. Mr. Stern picks up another rock a larger one, and again makes though to throw it into the ravine. But he suddenly reverses his motion and brings it down crushingly on the back of the creature's head. There is no sound, and a slight push topples the creature backward into the ravine. The clumsy beast will appear to have fallen over the edge. Quite satisfied with himself, Mr. Stern leaves Dr. Curtis in his trance and strolls to find Faye in the kitchen. You didn't leave Clyde out there by himself, did you? Shitowl sitting between him and the ravine. He'll be okay. He's snoozing again. I'm just getting a light supper sorted. It's nearly ready. I've been talking with Clyde about Mars. Does it sound like a nice place to visit? It sounds like Utopia. Clyde is fascinated with it. I must hear all about it. When he's feeling better, of course. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go back after a while. What? You can't blame the guy. If he's found the perfect place to live, well, who wouldn't? Was there any mention of taking me along? You didn't come into the conversation at all. Hal, you're not just making this up. Look, Faye, I understand how you feel about a man like Clyde. He's pretty phenomenal compared with someone, someone like me. And I guess I've talked myself into being a pretty good loser during these past few years. I knew you'd come round to it, Hal. You weren't nice enough. In fact, I was thoroughly fond of you. It's just... Being a good loser and losing interest are two different things. It's okay, I, I know that. I'll always be around, no matter what's happened to Clyde. Thank you, Hal. Just remember, I'm always available. I'm going to keep it very clearly in mind. Along with this idea of a return trip, which is apparently circulating in Clyde's head. That's all I ask. Well, this omelette is ready now. Are you sure Clyde is all right out there? You needn't worry about anything happening to him with Chatel standing guard. Oh, and have you got some iodine? Have you cut yourself? I must have pricked my finger on a thorn. It, it stings like fury. Ooh. There's a bottle in the medicine chest upstairs, but please hurry, or the omelette will be ruined. Oh, never mind. A little sting isn't going to kill me. Let's eat. Now the stage is completely set. Mr. Stern is trying to keep himself from becoming overconfident. But progress is progress, and he can't help but an inward snicker at the way things are going. Shut Owl, lately deceased, lies at the bottom of the ravine. A resentment against Clyde has been planted in Fay, 
and the overdose of heart stimulant he will administer to his old friend in a brandy will do the rest. True, the sting in Stern's finger has given him a moment's worry, because he knows it did not come from any rosebush. It started the moment he pushed Shotowl into the ravine. The monster must have caught his finger for a fraction of a second with one of its suction cups. Their supper out of the way, he and Faye help Dr. Curtis back to his chair in the living room. Stern's arm is around Clyde's shoulder, and he actually feels a surge of warmth towards his old friend. Warmth and pity, because what has to be done must be done. Stern eases the doctor into the chair, with a fond smile and a thoroughly affectionate pat on the shoulder. He then stands back to appraise the sick man carefully. He certainly doesn't look any worse. Do you think so, Faye? Actually, Clyde, you're looking much better. If only I didn't feel so weak. But it will pass. It will pass. If you could eat a little solid food, darling, is there anything that will tempt you? Nothing right now. And please don't worry. Oh, something I completely forgot. Forgot to do, Hal? Dr. Anderson told me when he was leaving. Clyde is supposed to have a little brandy in between those pills. No, uh, I think not. But darling, if your own physician ordered it... Think on it. You haven't had a shot of your favourite brandy for five years, and here you are ordered to take it by a doctor. Oh, very well. I'll fix it. I think there's a bottle in the cabinet here. You seem to know your way around the house quite well, Hal. Oh, I, I had to stop around occasionally to keep an eye on your wife, you know. She made me mix my own drinks. I think I would have given you up for lost if it hadn't been for Hal, darling. I'm deeply grateful to both of you for waiting out on me. I fully expected to have Chatel as the only friend left to me when I returned. You make a much more lasting impression than that, darling. By the way, where is Chatel? Didn't the thing come in with us? Apparently not. I'll look in the garden. Last I saw, it was sitting beside you with its back to the ravine. Could it have slipped over the edge? Here's your brandy, old friend. Put it on the table for me, Hal. Fine. I'm going to join you, if you don't mind. You're welcome to all you want. Clyde, there isn't a sign of short owl in the garden. By golly. Then he must have toppled over the edge. Yes. It's the only thing that would keep him away from me. Would you mind taking a light out there and having a look in the ravine for me, Hal? Not now. I don't want to leave you. You don't want to leave me? Have to stay around. See nothing happens to my old friend. Hal, have you been nipping at that brandy bottle? First today, so help me. Is there anything wrong? Do you feel all right? Feel... Perfectly wonderful. Except... Except what? Except... That old prick in my finger. It might be infected. Let me look. No, 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 no. There's nothing. Hal, it is infected. Your whole hand is inflamed. Let me see, Hal. Nothing, I tell you, Clive. Never give me a minute, Lord. Understand? Poor old Chateau. He so wanted to come back with me. You forget about Chateau. 
Oh, obviously nothing ever happens to you now. Oh, Shatao is dead. Martians never die. What do you mean by that, Clyde? How do you feel now, Hal? A little numb down Right along with his inflamed hand. I'm going to call Dr. Anderson. I don't believe Dr. Anderson can help now, Faye. Hal, listen to me. Can you understand what I'm saying? How do you feel towards me? Clyde! Whatever has come over him? He's actually squatting at your feet, the way Short Owl did. So, you killed Short Owl. Was it because you had to? Was it so you could kill me? <laughs> Poor Hal, what have you done? Clyde, will you tell me what's happening? Look at him! It's no longer Hal, my dear, but Short Owl in Hal's form. I went as far as to tell him straight out that a murdered Martian never really dies. Not even their animals. Not even their animals. And so, there sits our Mr. Stern. But feel no sorry for him. He brought this upon himself. Besides... He's never been happier than now, sitting at the feet of his master, adoring the great man, ready to sacrifice his own life to keep his beloved friend from harm. And this he will continue to do for the rest of his life. And so despite everything, we find ourselves with a happy ending. Martians Never Die, starred Tim Rutherford as Hal Stern, Christine Bellamy as Faye Curtis, Ian Carter as Clyde Curtis, Stephen Bolivant as The Reporter, Peter Beeston as Dr. Anderson, and Claire Hodgson as The Narrator. The music was by Matt Selden. It was written by Lucius Daniel and was edited and directed by Peter Beeston. This production is copyright 2010 to Cornucopia Radio.